coming up on Philosophy Talk. I'm not laying pipe. We're talking about poetry. Why does poetry matter? We don't read and write poetry because it's cute. We read and write poetry because we are members of the human race. And the human race is filled with passion. Is poetry valuable because it does something for us? Can a poem of loss help us to grieve? Can a poem of sadness help us feel seen? When people talk about the audience for poetry and is it diminishing and is poetry endangered, seems meaningless to me because the audience for poetry in my imagination is one person. Our guest is Nobel Prize winning poet Louise Glick. They require the reader, they're spoken to someone. If the powerful play goes on, then you may contribute a verse. Why poetry matters. What will your verse be? Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Is poetry just a fun pastime? Or can it change our lives? Can poems help us to connect, think, and feel? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything. Except your intelligence. I'm Josh Landy. And I'm Ray Briggs. We're coming to you via the studios of KALW San Francisco Bay Area. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where Ray teaches philosophy, and I direct the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today, we're thinking about why poetry matters. I'm so excited to talk about this, Ray. <clears throat> I think poetry matters enormously, and, and the more we all have of it in our lives, the better off we are. Ah, I love poetry, but I'm not sure it matters enormously. I'm with Marianne Moore. You know, she was a brilliant poet, but even she admitted that there are things that are important beyond all this fiddle. Like, there's war, famine, climate change. It's hard to see poetry being that life or death. But that's only half the quote, Ray. The other half is, there is in it, after all, a place for the genuine. And lots of people see poetry that way, as a, a place to gain genuine wisdom. Eh, I don't know about wisdom, Josh. You like Baudelaire, right? Mm -hmm. And he even says that truth has nothing to do with song. <laughs> Look, I can say anything I want in rhyming couplets. It doesn't have to be true. Rat-a-tat-tat, the earth is flat. See? <laughs> that, uh, that's a good example. And yeah, okay, poems don't have to be true, but you know, a lot of them are filled with interesting ideas. Like take one of the earliest Greek philosophers, Parmenides. He, he wrote his entire treatise in dactylic hexameter. Okay, it wasn't the greatest poem ever, but it was still a philosophical one. Yeah, okay, but why do you need a poem to do any of that? He could have just written it all in prose. It probably would have been a lot clearer, too. Clearer, sure, but less memorable. Poetry has a way of sticking in your head. I don't know if that's such a great thing, though. What if you write a really catchy poem and it just says something completely false? Maybe it's going to stick in people's heads and actually convince them to believe the wrong thing. Yeah, but when poems get it right about the world, they can do things no piece of prose ever could. T take Mary Oliver's beautiful line, I think this is the prettiest world so long as you don't mind a little dying. I, isn't that great? I mean, that's not just true. It's important, and the poetry makes you feel that importance. Yeah, it is great. It's a great line, but it's not because it tells us anything we didn't already know. What's great about it is that it gives us a new vocabulary for talking about shared human experiences, like knowing that everything dies. I totally agree. Uh, poems give us words for the things we think and feel, or, or half think and half feel. Beautiful words, powerful words, so we can finally take possession of them. Exactly. Plus, poems can take us into the mind of another person. 
it's like you're right inside their head, thinking their thoughts, feeling their feelings. Simone de Beauvoir says that's the miracle of art. Yeah, that's something we could definitely both agree on, right? And not only that, but they give us these great experiences. Like think of the joy you get from reading Sappho or, or Langston Hughes or Emily Dickinson. Okay, there's definitely a lot of joy in those poems, but I, what about things like Philip Larkin's Obad, one of the, the most devastating poems ever written about human mortality? I mean, when I read that poem, I'm not exactly singing and dancing. Yeah, but poems don't need to be upbeat to create a valuable experience. A, a sad poem can make you feel less alone because you know that a brilliant mind has felt exactly the same things as you. They can give form to chaos. They can turn inarticulate suffering into beautiful speech. And, you know, they can help you feel your feelings, whether those feelings are good feelings or bad ones. But here's what I don't understand. I mean, if I, my feelings are painful ones, why would I want to feel them more intensely? Well, because suffering is part of a human life. Mary Oliver was right about that. Instead of pushing our suffering down or running away from it, we just have to feel it. And there's nothing like poetry for helping us to do that. I totally agree. But, but enough about what we think. I can't wait to hear what our guest thinks. We have the great honor today of being joined by Louise Glick, winner of the 2020 Nobel Prize in Literature. And we sent our roving philosophical reporter, Holly J. McDeed, to check in with two poets from the San Francisco Bay Area to ask why poetry matters to them. She files this report. Hola, my name is Josiah Luis Alderete, pocho poet and proud Spanglish speaker. As a brown person in these Estados Unidos, as a brown person living here in San Francisco, um, poetry matters because for us, it's not only a work of art, it's not only a way to appreciate and express beauty, it's also a way to remember things. Poetry is memoria, poetry is history. Uh, you know, I know that I have personally learned a lot of my Chicano history, my Chicanx history through poetry, through other poets that sort of like explained Chicanismo to me or explained Latinidad to me, you know, explained what the Mission District used to be, explained what Los Angeles used to be. Poetry for me is like a, a biological function. <laughs> So if I didn't write it, it would, um, I am not exaggerating when I say I would probably die. The poem isn't titled, so it's untitled. The rules for Espanol, en el carro or en la casa. The rules for Spanglish, near the front door or on certain playgrounds. The rules for English, near the Sizzler salad bar, or whenever we talk about history. The rules for Nawa that I hear in my dreams was no me acuerdo. You see, my accent, it goes way, way back, and it was not formed by the neighborhood I grew up in or the place that mi familia is from. Nah, you see, my accent has been formed by all those things about ourselves that were not taught to us, by all those things that our ancestors were not allowed to say. You see, my accent has been formed by the forced, violent migration of mi gente, by the mystical, milagroso migration of mi gente. My name is Janae Darden. I'm originally from Oakland, California. 
and I'm a journalist and a poet. And my book is When a Purple Rose Blooms. Maya Angelou, she used to say, um, words are things and words have energy. And so, and so words, words are very powerful and, and, and definitely poetry matters. You know, you can really go outside the, the boundaries, depending on what kind of poet you are. Some poets may say there's rules, some poets may say there aren't rules or there aren't very many rules. And so you can really be creative in how you express yourself and just the way it reaches people. And it's not even, it does not even have to reach people, reach people when it comes to something serious, just pulling out the joy in people and, and, and the laughter. And um, yeah, so poetry makes us laugh, it makes us think. It definitely, it definitely matters. It speaks to the human spirit. So this is called self-esteem. Men believe in her since she entered the world. Her daddy split right after the doctor said, it's a girl. Her first boyfriend left her for Alexis. Her second boyfriend left her for Texas. Her third boyfriend left her for Travis. Her fiance left her for the bottle and the nice girl on 85th with a blonde weave. All she knew about men were they lied, they leave. And their hearts had a short attention span for her love. What's wrong with me, she cried to her friends. What's wrong with me? Girl, they say, you just need some self-esteem. Huh, self-esteem? Where do you get that, she asked. Is it something you buy off the rack? Do they sell it at Big Lots next to discounted baby fat? Hmm, self-esteem. Does it come in a lotion bottle? Or a jar like beauty cream? Has Oprah given it away in her favorite things? Can I get at the Slauson Swap Meet or Durant Square? Is it easy to put on like a clip in my hair? Hold up, does it come with my Obamacare? Do I eat it? Do I wear it? Do I hang it on the wall? Is it available year-round? Winter, spring, summer, fall? Is it free? Do I have to pay? Don't play. Does it fall from the sky or grow from the ground? Maybe mine is in some lost and found. Is it something I can hold? Will it make me feel good? Do they make it for rich girls and us girls in the hood? Is there a commercial for it? A jingle, a song? Can I order it from Amazon? Get some self-esteem. You make it seem easy, she said to her friends. You make it sound like it's the answer, without a doubt. But how is self-esteem the key in a world that constantly tries to lock black women out? Now this is where the poem ends, because when looking for self-esteem, where does one begin? For Philosophy Talk, I'm Holly J. McDeed. Want to hear more? You can find the complete episode on iTunes Music, or for unlimited listening, become a subscriber at philosophytalk.org.